At the Foot of the Cross, a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Hello and welcome to December's At the Foot of the Cross. We are rapidly approaching Christmas, but in that final octave of Advent, we have the O-Antiphons that you might well have seen on our website, cbcew.org.uk. I would recommend them. Nice reflections, perfect for the time of year. And joining me, as usual, is Canon Christopher Thomas, our General Secretary. Good morning, James. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Yes. Are you are you prepared? Are you? I am. Yes, I, I have completed all of the requirements for family and friends, and uh, I look forward to going back to my diocese this week uh, to, to help out in uh, in Lincolnshire, uh, oh, in parishes nice. in Lincolnshire over Christmas. I passed through Lincolnshire actually at the weekend on my way back from Newcastle. Very, Very snowy, oh. I have to say. <laughs> I bet you've got a picturesque diocese, haven't you? We do. I I mean, the Diocese of Nottingham has the four counties of Derbyshire, Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire and Leicestershire, Mm. each with its own very distinctive characteristics, but also with different landscapes. You know, you have the the very flat Lincolnshire wolds and then you have the the, the high peak uh, in Derbyshire, which is very, very beautiful indeed. Uh, And then you come down into, into Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire. Uh, and uh, oh, it's beautiful. We mustn't forget Little Rutland, because uh, Rutland is uh, is one parish, uh, St Joseph's Oakham, and uh, and its parish priest father, oh Canon Stephen Dye, he was made a canon the other day, uh, and uh, Stephen is always very uh, very precious about the fact that it's a fifth county, the smallest in England, which is part of our diocese. Is that so? Mm. I didn't know that. Mm. Yes, mm. its motto is multum in parvo, which is a uh, 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 a lot in a little. Oh, how charming. <laughs> <laughs> now, what we're going to do today, we're going to have a because obviously we're we're very near to the end of 2022, and I think we said in our last podcast that the church has started a new year. Indeed, but nonetheless, it is a good time to look back on the year that has passed. Indeed, yeah, and, very and eventful. It's, it's been incredibly eventful, and uh, I'd, I'd like to just pick out some some things, positive and negative. I'm afraid, no, please. But that's do. the mix of human life. Uh, you know, in our very existences, there are always things that delight the heart and things that sadden the heart, and. Uh, I want to begin by remembering waking up in Belmont Abbey when I was on retreat there in February to the news of the war in Ukraine, which has been in the, sometimes in the foreground, sometimes but definitely in the background of all of our year. And, you know, the, the terrible hardship that the people of Ukraine are, are suffering. And what's been remarkable in this country is the generosity of people. I mean, not only the way in which people have received Ukrainians into their homes, but in a very, very particular way, I'd like to applaud Bishop Kenneth Novakovsky, our Ukrainian eparch, yes. for the way that he has driven the efforts of welcome, of support, helping people to find their feet in a new land with a new culture. It's absolutely remarkable. I, I, I mean, for me, one of the highlights, I went to celebrate uh, the Ukrainian Easter, which took place a week after our own Latin Easter this year. And I went to the Ukrainian cathedral for their main celebration of the Divine Liturgy. The place was literally, they took all the benches out. It was standing room only, and they filled the square outside the cathedral. And Bishop Kenneth said that over the whole of the, of the Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday period, they had about 14,000, 15,000 people come through the cathedral wow. uh, to celebrate the resurrection. It's a testimony of faith. Ukrainian people have a deep, deep faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and they express it in the most beautiful ways. 
and Bishop Kenneth has set up a welcome centre. He had the privilege of, of welcoming uh, His Majesty King Charles to open it formally. Indeed, uh, which and was, the First Lady from Ukraine. And the First Lady of Ukraine was there as well. And, and this is a remarkable thing for somebody who, to be honest, I mean, I can remember being at Bishop Kenneth's installation, which was just on the cusp of the COVID lockdown. There were only about eight of us in the cathedral. The major uh, archbishop couldn't come from Ukraine because of the, the pandemic. And so he uh, delegated Cardinal Nichols to install him. And I can remember being in the cathedral with just just about eight or nine people there with one canter. Bishop Kenneth was installed as the eparch of the Ukrainian community in this country. From that moment, he has been constantly working to support the Ukrainian communities here. He was seriously ill with COVID. And I yet, didn't know that. Oh, yeah, seriously ill with COVID. And yet he has bounced back. And indeed, I saw him even last night and, uh, and you know, still working. They, they've got a project on at the moment, I, I'd like to say to listeners. Um, mm. they are, for £16, you can provide a food parcel for a Ukrainian family for two weeks. And so we Very here good. at the Bishops' Conference have been collecting uh, money for that, and that appeal has gone out to the, all of the Catholic Church in England and Wales. He wants to send 100,000 food parcels. So uh, I was delighted to say that uh, that we will be sending uh, uh, just over £1,000 to him from the Bishops' Conference, uh, from our staff here, for that cause, which is so important at this time. That's marvellous. I'll tell you one thing that strikes me as well about Bishop Kenneth, who I've only met two or three times, to be honest. But every time I've gone to the cathedral there, you almost go with a heavy heart, thinking, wow, the the people are suffering. Obviously, the eparchy is the focal point in the centre of London for Ukrainian Greek Catholics in the UK. But actually, there's a lot of warmth there, a lot of humanity, a lot of generosity, actually. I, I was just totally... You know, you can't avoid it. It, it's, it sort of pulls you in and, and makes you want to do what you can do, doesn't um, it? Oh, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. And I also think that the personal warmth of Bishop Kenneth yeah. is, is a big factor in that. Definitely. And, and the way in which he has uh, been a driver for this work. And one of the things I always say to people at Christmas, uh, I used to say this when I was a university chaplain to the students because we were never there for Christmas, obviously, because yeah, term had broken up. I said, you know, wherever you are, go to the crib and pray for each other because the crib is like a portal into which we enter to adore the Christ child. Maybe listeners can uh, uh, could go to their crib this Christmas and offer a prayer for the people of Ukraine, for the work that Bishop Kenneth is doing in this country with his collaborators, and pray for peace. Yeah, that's a very, Christ very is good the point. Prince of Peace. Absolutely. So let's pray for that peace in the world. Definitely. And, and to, to just tip the hat somewhat to Caritas Social Action Network as well. They're sort of hooking into the Homes for Ukraine matching service. They too are sort of appealing for for support so they can provide assistance as well. So it, it's sort of, you know, it's all hands to the pump, isn't it's it? It's a whole church approach. Yeah. We can all play our part in this work. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, onwards to the next event of the year. Well, the, the next event of the year was... was something personally a delight, which was uh, the um, the first time that the bishops had met in plenary assembly in Cardiff. This was in the wake of the news of, of uh, the new archbishop, Archbishop George Stack, having tendered his resignation and uh, steered that diocese for many years. We had the news that uh, the new archbishop was to be Archbishop Mark O'Toole, and he was also to be the Bishop of Menevia, uniting the two dioceses in his own heart, which he has begun with great earnest uh, uh, to do. The plenary in Cardiff was important on many fronts, um, not just for the the business of the day, but to actually 
showcase you know the church in Wales you know our church is alive in Wales we have vibrant communities um, the bishops were very touched by the welcome that they had there from everybody uh, we went to the Senate we were welcomed formally into the Senate by the presiding officer uh, we ob- observed a, a very interesting uh, debate on uh, social cohesion which uh, is obviously very important in the life of the church here and then at a formal reception First Minister Mark Drakeford came and uh, spoke to us as well. What it showed was was that it's not the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales, but it's the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. You know, Wales. It's a, like it. It, 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 a very important distinction, and and we have to deal with two juris, different jurisdictions: the Westminster government and the Senate in in Cardiff, and so that really laid a really sound foundation for the work that we are continuing to build on from that plenary assembly in Cardiff, which was a great success. And I loved it because I went home. I was going to ask you, did that? Did, did you sort of feel that your homeland in your heart oh, at that of course, point? Absolutely. And, and afterwards, I did actually go home. I went, to, I went down to Swansea and it was lovely just to, just to visit home as well. When priests, either through academia or through working in a certain area, you know, you, you talk about Nottingham being the home diocese, but of course, Wales being your yeah, home home. Indeed. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to work up in Lincolnshire for Christmas, but on uh, St. Stephen's Day on Monday, I'll be going down to Wales to go and see my brother and my sisters and their families. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You will get some peace, I presume, oh, some yes, calm will, somewhere yes. along the way. Yes. <laughs> I think one quick thing to point out as well when we're talking about Wales is that the church in Wales, if I make the distinction, and the Archbishop of Wales being obviously the Anglican That's right. Archbishop of Wales, and as you mentioned, Archbishop Marco Tool of Cardiff and Menevia, they did a joint Christmas message. In, in Welsh as well. Yeah, for first time that we've had a joint message between the Archbishop of Cardiff and the Archbishop of Wales. And uh, Archbishop Andrew John and Archbishop Mark O'Toole have given us that, that, uh, that, that message for Christmas, which is on our website in both languages. Both languages. That's right. And, uh, and so uh, there's something else that people can be signposted to to enhance their, uh, their Christmas reflections. Excellent. Now, we spoke again on our last podcast about the visit of St. Bernadette, the relics of St. Bernadette, because obviously two month visits, quite a long time, actually, quite a big tour, all ends of of the countries, actually, because I I believe, obviously, the relics went into Scotland as well. Absolutely. So a wonderful thing. We've said that many times. What are are your reflections on that? Well, I I think that uh, the spiritual fruitfulness of that of that pilgrimage will be known in the hearts of those who experienced the visit to the relics themselves. The cumulative effect of it, I hope, will be a reinvigoration of faith in the hearts of people. Some people think, oh, relics, bit odd, you know, a bit old-fashioned or whatever, you know. But um, they are tangible signs of people who have lived lives of heroic virtue that have gone before us, and they show us patterns of good living. And any of us who have been to Lourdes, you know, know the story of Bernadette and her simplicity, the way in which she was absolutely convinced of the message of the beautiful lady mm. and how that was she would not be deflected by those who were trying to put her off or, to, or even the church trying to discredit her. And yet what we have now in the sanctuary in Lourdes is a place where thousands upon thousands of pilgrims go every year and they find solace. And of course, the one thing we must always remember is that Bernadette pointed to Mary, but Mary always points to Christ. Yeah. 
and Our Lady always directs us to her son because uh, that is what her role was. She was the disciple, and yet she was the uh, the pointer towards the one who we will worship again in the beauty of holiness on Christmas Day when he comes to us as a child. So uh, the spiritual capital of that wonderful pilgrimage where so many, two, we reckon about a quarter of a million people o- over the whole yeah. uh, two months actually made a visit to the relics. I think that that spiritual capital will, will, will be deep-seated in the hearts of the church and will, will give that sense of renewal. Absolutely. Now, uh, during that time, actually, we had the uh, sadness of the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. But before we talk about that, there was a platinum jubilee, Absolutely. wasn't there? I, I mean, um, to think about Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II gives in my own heart much joy and sorrow that she has gone to God. She had been, uh, you know, in the background of my whole life. I'm only 53, and, you know, she had, she'd been on the throne a long time before I even came into the world, and yet... You and me both. <laughs> and, yet, and yet, you know, the way that she um, lived her life in fidelity to that which she had promised was so beautifully celebrated back in June with the Platinum Jubilee and with all of the pageants and the celebrations that went with it. I can remember being in my office here at Eccleston Square. I was doing some work and uh, and I, I had the news on uh, my computer. And before it came on the computer, I could hear the rumble of the fly past. And so I, I got up and went to my office window and I could see the fly past. And it was just remarkable. And to see that 70 going over at the end, you know, was absolutely remarkable. And I know that her ill health prevented her from being at everything that we would have expected her to be at. But the fact that on that last day, she came back onto the balcony to greet her people. It was so lovely and so right that so many people had gathered to pay their respects, their thanks, to share their joy with this remarkable woman of faith. And then, of course, we got to the 8th of September and the news that she had died. Yeah. What we saw then was something, again, remarkable. People coming out in their thousands upon thousands to pay their respects to the Queen, beginning at the front of Buckingham Palace. I can remember going uh, on the night that she had died and for a walk over to Buckingham Palace to see people gathering in quiet prayer, laying flowers, crying, consoling each other because uh, of, uh, of her death. And then the great pageantry of uh, the funeral itself, which was preceded by those remarkable scenes of people queuing through the night to go and pay their respects to Her Majesty as she lay in state in Westminster Hall. And and that was a pilgrimage in itself. We talked about the pilgrimage of, of Bernadette. There were several priests and bishops who, who actually went into the queue and queued up and Abbot Hugh Allen, who is the apostolic administrator of the Falkland Islands and is the the prior of the Norbertine community in Peckham, he queued up through the night and he said that it was remarkable. People were talking to him. People, He heard people's confessions. It was an opportunity for evangelization and for people to talk about faith because at the end of the day, you know, these things are deep within. They are really deep within us. And I think the death of the Queen allowed something of that understanding of the mystery of human life and death to well up and to be seen in the public square in such a remarkable way. The funeral itself was, well, it was remarkable. Not only was it a a moment of prayer, but it was, you know, for the nation, 
to actually pay their final respects to the Queen. But for me, there was a very important thing. At the end of the service in St George's Chapel in Windsor, when the orb, the sceptre and the crown were taken off the coffin, and the coffin was simply there. It was draped in the royal standard, that's fine. But if you think about it, if we have our coffins in the church, and it doesn't matter whether you're the head of state like Her Majesty, or whether you're the poorest person of a community, at the end of the day, the coffin lies in front of the altar, which is the symbol of God, and it's at that moment we implore his mercy. And it doesn't matter whether you are king or pauper, that mercy is for everyone. And for me, that was a very, very moving moment, when there was just that moment of silence, when the coffin simply had the standard over it, and it was at that moment that prayer went up, from my heart anyway, Lord, have mercy because that's the best prayer that we can offer when somebody has died. Now we have our king, and we must pray for him too. And I look forward to his Christmas message, his first Christmas message, uh, that we'll hear next Sunday. Absolutely. Now look, talking of Christmas messages, I'm going to trail ahead slightly, because Bishop Peter Brignall, Bishop of Wrexham, he's got a Christmas message for us, which will be on this podcast very shortly. But you have something of a reflection for us too. Just a short one. Do you have a favourite Christmas carol? Oh, that's a good question. I I just love Christmas carols. I don't know if I can pick out a favourite. It's just that time where you can lose yourself a bit, actually. When I was in the parish, we always began our midnight mass with O Little Town of Bethlehem, because it's my favourite Christmas carol. And the verse that I always uh, love is the verse that begins, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. You know, when we think about the birth of a child... I mean, I've been present at the birth of children in hospital, unfortunately, because they were poorly when they were born. But I've been there and it's hardly silent. And yet the silence is actually the precious commodity because after the child is born, there is a silence. It's precious and it's a precious moment of bonding. And especially if mum and dad are present, where mum holds the child in her arms for the first time, when dad looks on in that adoring gaze. And, you know, when we think about silence, it's a precious commodity in today's world. We live in a noisy world. I mean, not just the physical noise, but there's all the other noise that goes around. Verbal conversations, virtual conversations with people tapping on phones all the time, emails, Twitter. This is all noise. It's the always-on world. That's right. And yet, we have to seek silence. Because unlike emails and WhatsApp and everything else, The way that God works is different. When we send a WhatsApp, we wait for the blue ticks to appear. God doesn't operate like that. He doesn't have this immediate response to all of the petitions that fly to him in every second of our existence. And he doesn't send angels immediately to reassure us that he's heard us. No, God loves silence. He exists in a delightful silence. And in the silence of the night, he came to us. Remember, the hymn goes on to say, No ear may hear his coming. And so it's in the silence. And faith is about silence. Silence is sort of the foundation of faith. And when we gather, uh, I think there's very something very holy about going out into the darkness of the night to celebrate Midnight Mass. We look at this child who's come into the world. And what does the child bring? The hymn tells us. God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. And so what was lost at the dawn of existence by human pride with Adam and Eve, which was the blessing of the world symbolised through the, their beautiful existence in the Garden of Eden from which they were, they were banished. Now through the birth of Christ, we get something better. We get the blessings of heaven. And, you know, our life is about 
being moving gently and generously every single day to embrace the fullness of life in Christ. And when does he come? He comes in the silent of the night, but he comes into, as the hymn tells us, the world of sin. Because our world is broken. I've talked about Ukraine. Mm. I've talked about the brokenness of our human relationships. And what he does is he seeks out those who are looking for meaning. And he does it all in love. Because at the end of the day, he is the one who comes to show us the love that the Father has for all that he has created. And he brings dominion, peace and integrity, as the prophecy of Isaiah tells us. And when we go to the crib, one of the things that's important there is look at who's there. So you've got the shepherds, no intellectuals, but they heard the message of the angels and they went and they marvelled at what they saw because what the angels said to them, it was all there, the baby wrapped in swathing bands. And then you look at the donkey and the ox. Why are they there? Well, the prophecy of Isaiah says, the ox knows its owner and the ass its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. People need time to contemplate the reality of the child. Yet, those animals knew. And don't forget the star. The star is very important. It shines and rises to reveal the child, revealing the prophecy of Balaam in the book of Numbers. A star from Jacob takes the leadership and a royal scepter arises from Israel. And so the whole of the universe is caught up in the silence of the night with the birth of this child. And it's a remarkable thing. And then we have the challenge in the last line of the verse. Where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Are we a humble people, meek enough to lay down our worldly ambitions to delight in the birth of a child? Can I let him and his story into my own heart and be changed by it? Am I going to be like Mary and Joseph and ponder his beauty and marvel at who this child will be? And will I listen in the silence for the voice of God who says the precious message to each one of us, I love you and I gave my son for you. So, a little town of Bethlehem, a very beautifully theological hymn. And as we move towards Christmas, in these last days of Advent, let us begin to open our hearts so that we can actually receive him, to know who he is, and to just have that little bit of silence in front of the crib where we can unite with everybody who adores this child on that holy night. To everybody who hears this, a very blessed Christmas and joy for the new year to come. Well said. Amen, in fact. At the Foot of the Cross, a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Ah, wonderful, O little town of Bethlehem. I shall shall be singing that with great gusto, in the appropriate moments, of course, uh, over Christmas time. Thank you very much, Chris Thomas. And now, as I promised, we will have a reflection from Bishop Peter Brignall, the Bishop of Wrexham. One of the most significant scientific revolutions to have taken place in the last 25 years, and that touches the lives of us all, is the application of semiconductor diode technology. We are probably most aware of it at this time of Christmas, but equally just take it for granted, much to our loss and disadvantage. I speak of light-emitting diodes, LEDs, those tiny electrical components that festoon our Christmas trees and streets and houses, creating a beauty and light 
that far exceeds the brightness and economy of conventional light bulbs. Hilaire Belloc, in his poem Courtesy, describes three pictures, the Annunciation, the Visitation, and the Coming of the Magi, hanging close by on a wall, presenting the virtue of courtesy in the mystery of the coming of the Christ child. Courtesy taken to mean a gift, a kindness, a gesture, something done that far exceeds expectation. Of courtesy, it is much less than courage of heart or holiness. Yet in my walks, it seems to me that the grace of God is in courtesy. On monks, I did in Storrington fall. They took me straight into their hall. I saw three pictures on a wall and courtesy was in them all. The first, the Annunciation. The second, the Visitation. The third, the Consolation of God that was Our Lady's Son. The first was of Gabriel. On wings aflame from heaven he fell. And as he went upon one knee, he shone with heavenly courtesy. Our Lady of Nazareth rode, it was her month of heavy load. Yet was her face both great and kind, for courtesy was in her mind. The third, it was our little Lord, whom all the kings in arms adored. He was so small you could not see the large intent of courtesy. Our Lord, that was Our Lady's Son. God bless you, people, one by one. My rhyme is written, my work is done. It is the last two verses that my thoughts of those tiny lights and the coming of the Saviour of the world in the infant of Bethlehem come together, especially the lines, he was so small you could not see his large intent of courtesy. Our Lord, that was Our Lady's Son. The prophets and seers of old proclaim a message that points to Christ as the light of the world. The greatest being John the Baptist, who is acknowledged by Jesus himself as being a lamp, a light and shining but is only a witness to the light. Small though he is, Jesus floods the world with the Father's glory. Angels sing his praise. Shepherds come in adoration. The nations bow down in homage. For this tiny child, the light of the world, is the child born as Isaiah prophesied the one called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and whom Simeon recognised as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As we look upon each of those tiny lights this Christmas, May they remind us of the tiny child and the immeasurable intent of courtesy, the gracious gift of God for all people that dispels the darkness of this world's deeds and gives us the hope to live our lives 
in the radiant love of God. Our Lord, that was Our Lady's Son, go bless you, people, one by one. Oh, splendid. We're, we're being spoiled a bit, aren't we, here with our with our Christmas reflections. Thanks ever so much, Bishop Peter Brignall, Bishop of Wrexham, for that wonderful reflection. It only really remains for me to say thank you, first of all, for listening to our podcast and also to wish you a very happy and a very peaceful Christmas. Bye for now. <laughs>